The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book One, The Voyage South. Chapter Eight, in which Astrea works for Jeb. Something knocked loudly on the other side of the wall, close beside Astrea's head, jolting him awake. Before he could take stock of where he was, the door of his cell-like room was thrown open, and Jeb stood silhouetted against a sky brightening towards sunup. He threw a shirt onto Estrella's bed. "'Put these on. You can't work in them sailor clothes.' He stood in the doorway while Estrella pulled on the coarsely woven shirt. It was little more than a large sack, with a slit for his head and loose sleeves that flapped at his elbows. He was going to tuck his shirt into his trousers, when he noticed that Jeb's shirt hung down to his thighs, so he did the same. "'Get on with it. Chores. Muck out the horses.' "'Horses?' Two. Jonah's knocking on the wall. Sally's the quiet one. Shovel out their boxes. Give them two forks of hay each. Fill their water tubs. They get their oats in the evening. Don't eat their supper.' Again came the twist to his lips that was Jeb's version of a smile. Estrella ignored the jibe as Jeb looked him up and down. "'You need boots. Come. Can't tend horses barefoot. You're no good to me with broken feet.' Estrella followed Jeb around to the other side of the hip-roofed barn, where double doors gave entrance to the horses' stalls. Jeb disappeared into the dimness of the barn, and a moment later two well-used heavy boots thumped on the ground by Astrea's feet. He was stooping to put them on when he saw the heads of two horses looking expectantly out of their stalls. Astrea stood still, amazed, the uncomfortable boots forgotten. Never seen horses before. Only in books. Jeb grunted scornfully. Go easy. Call them by name. Don't take no guff. There's the shovel and the barrow. Get started. Estrella picked up the shovel, took a deep breath, and walked slowly towards the first horse's head, which was outside the shoulder-high door of its stall. Estrella looked up into a large brown eye. The horse stretched his neck and blew warm breath out of his nose into Estrella's face. It was a pleasant smell that reminded him of the dog Skip who would greet him by putting two front paws on his shoulders and breathing heavily. The memory gave him confidence, and he took a step closer. The horse huffed again, and then deliberately sniffed Astrea's hair. Astrea stood still until the big head shoved against his shoulder. "'Hey there, Jonah,' said Astrea, with more confidence than he felt. "'Time to clean out your stall.' He was about to open the door when Jeb appeared at his side. The farmer seemed disappointed that Estrella was not terrified. "'Put on his bridle, lead him out to the hitching post, and then get to work.' "'His bridle?' asked Estrella. Jeb snorted again disdainfully as he took down a bridle and lead rope from a peg beside the stall and buckled it onto the horse. "'Watch. Then you do, Sally.' Estrella did as he was told. The second horse seemed quite willing to accept him, now that her partner had checked him over first. With a bit of fumbling, Estrella got the bridle on correctly, in time to see Jeb open the door of Jonah's stall and walk with him into the open air. Gripping the bridle at Sally's cheek, 
and holding the lead rope in a tight coil as Jeb had done, Estrella opened the door cautiously. The horse led Estrella rather than the other way around, but since she knew her routine they arrived alongside Jeb in good order. Reasoning that this was a big, valuable animal, Estrella tied the halter rope to the hitching post with a quick bowline. What in tarnation are you up to, sailor boy? Uh, tying up the horse? Where did you learn that? From, well, everyone ties their boats up like that. Well, sailor boy, we don't tie up horses that way. His voice was condescending. Not like that. Never. Like this. Estrella watched and then copied a simple hitch that the village women would have been ashamed to use on a laundry line. Prudently keeping the thought to himself, Estrella turned back towards the barn and began removing what he had smelled in the stalls. While Estrella shoveled and barrowed straw and horse droppings, Jeb busied himself in the corner where he kept the horse's tack, watching Estrella work. After the stalls were clean, Jeb gave further laconic instructions and Estrella pulled down hay from the loft above the stalls, filled water buckets at the pump, and brought both to the horses. When the horses were champing on their hay in the morning sunlight, Jeb told him to start the grooming. Estrella was somewhat apprehensive at first, but when he saw that the horse enjoyed the process, he scrubbed with more confidence, and was rewarded with a snort that he took for gratitude. Jeb left him grooming the second horse. He was finishing Sally when the farmer reappeared. Ever milk a cow, sailor boy? No. Jeb only grunted as he led the way to the cowshed, which stood separate from the horses. Collecting a bucket and stool at the door, he handed them to Estrella, pointed to the cow, and stood back, obviously expecting to be amused. However, Estrella knew what to do. He stood for a moment in front of the cow to let her sniff him, then set up the stool and bucket and started drawing down the milk. The cow swung her head around to look at him. He murmured wordless noises to her, and she turned back to placidly chewing her cud. Thought you'd said you'd never milked a cow. Only goats, said Estrella, concentrating on what he was doing. Jeb watched him until the job was done, growing increasingly grumpy from having been cheated of another chance to make fun of Estrella's ignorance of farm ways. Wash up for breakfast, Jeb grunted. After taking his turn under the pump by the kitchen door, Estrella took off his ill-fitting boots and entered the kitchen. He was immediately greeted with a stream of questions from Eva, who seemed to have completely forgotten the ugly scene of the previous evening. "'Tell me about your village, your family. Where do you live? Does your family have a farm, like father's? Does everyone fish? What do the women wear? Do you really eat oats? I mean, aside from in porridge. When can you teach me some more reading and writing?' Before Estrella could choose a question to answer, Jeb silenced both of them in a voice so stern that Eva winced. Sit, daughter. You'll not talk to the lad. Eat your breakfast. Eva lowered her head and began to eat her porridge, but she did not stop peeking at Estrella whenever she thought her father was not looking. For his part, Estrella did not know whether to acknowledge her glances. Judith frowned at Eva as she served up porridge, bread, and steaming mugs of tea, not that her daughter took much notice of her disapproval. Estrella ate silently, remembering the night before. 
Instead of talking, he carefully memorized the braided arrangement of her pigtails, the curve of her cheek, and the way her small hand held her spoon. He waited until Jeb's attention was on his food, and acknowledged Eva's glance with a wink. Husband, I'm concerned about his head. It was a shrewd blow he took. He's had rest. Now he must work. May I not just check under the bandage? Jed sighed and nodded. Judith stepped behind Astrea's back and carefully undid the bandage around his head. Well, demanded Jed, there may be a scar, but his hair should cover it from view. Can he work? Does your head spin when you stand up? Astrea shook his head. Did that hurt? No. Then he's ready, grunted Jeb. Judith placed a bowl tied in a square of cloth in front of both Jeb and Astrea. For midday, she murmured when Astrea looked at her questioningly. Get your boots, sailor boy. While Astrea sat on the doorstep pulling on his boots, he heard Jeb's voice in snatches of low-voiced commands. He will not come into this house except for meals. You will not go near him. Do, and you'll feel my belt. Moments later, Jeb came outside as if nothing had happened. While tying up his boots, he asked Astrea, Ever cut cedar rails? Astrea, swallowing the urge to demand why Eva should not speak to him, shook his head. Well, can you use an axe without cutting your feet off? Astrea nodded. We'll see, Jeb grunted. Now, get Sally. Jeb attached a bewildering collection of straps and chains to a horse collar and grumbled when Astrea asked what they were for. Eventually the horse was ready, with the hauling chains looped up on either side, a leather bag of tools to the left, and a basket for their midday meals on the right. At Jeb's impatient gesture, Astrea opened the gate, and the horse clopped out of the yard, the equipment jingling. They cut across a field that seemed to Estrella to be growing only weeds, up a cart track beside a little stream under oak, maples, and birch trees many times larger than those that grew near the village. After walking under intertwined boughs, they went down a short green trail and arrived at a second field, striped with regular green lines of new growth. This time Jeb led the way carefully around the crop, following a snake fence of cedar to where it ended at the edge of the forest. Astrea recognized a style of fencing similar to what the villagers made of driftwood around their kitchen gardens, and felt confident enough to ask the question that had been on his mind as they walked. About Eva and me, Jeb stopped, swung around, and stepped so close to Astrea that he felt the man's breath. The movement was so sudden, Astrea could only stand, mouth ajar, and eyes wide. Get this through your head, lad, or I'll put it there with my fist. There is no Eva and you. I know what you're up to, trying to teach her to write. I have what you wrote, and there'll be no more of that. You do not speak to her, visit with her. You do not look at her, save to stay out of her way. Is that clear? Jeb's voice held a note of menace that took Astrea by surprise. He nodded. Answer me. Do you understand? Yes. Astrea gulped. Now you know.
Jeb turned and pointed down a hoof-scarred path into the woods. When he spoke, it was as if nothing had happened. Down there in that swampy bit, there's cedars. Cut em, haul em up here, and set em up like the rest of the fence. He heaved a deliberate sigh. I suppose I'll have to show you. Leading the horse, Jeb followed the hoof marks downhill into a cedar bog. On their way they ducked branches, stepped over rocks and fallen trees, and slapped at the flies that attacked horse and men alike. They stopped in a small clearing where there was a pile of freshly felled cedars and a mound of branches beside them. "'I'll only show you the once,' he declared. "'The horse knows its job. All you got to do is put the chain on the rails and tell her to go.' Jeb tugged on the horse's collar and backed her towards the pile of poles that were the width of a man's thigh at their base and more than twice a man's height in length. The farmer unhooked one of the chains that had jingled at the horse's side and secured it to one of the poles. At Jeb's peremptory gesture, Astraea secured a pole on his side of the horse, with Jeb watching him critically. Sally the horse stood, flicking flies with her tail and nodding her head up and down. hey -ah! yelled Jeb. Astraea barely had time to leap out of the way as the horse lunged forward to break the poles out of the wet earth. Clods flew from her hooves as the huge rump disappeared among the trees, the poles thumping after her. Astraea and Jeb followed more slowly. When they reached the end of the fence, Sally was standing waiting for them. As they pushed through the last of the trees, the horse slowly turned her head to watch, as if to ask them what had taken them so long. Astraea smiled at the big animal and rubbed its nose. Talking to the horse, sailor boy? Get over here and do some work. The fence on which he was to work zigged and zagged its way along two sides of the field of some shin-high crop that Astraea did not know. Jeb stood beside the last four poles from the previous day. Behind him the fence angled back and forth across what otherwise would have been a straight line. Following Jeb's curt directions, Astraea uncoupled the chain and dragged over one of the new poles to where the last set of poles lay fanned out on the ground, waiting for the load the horse had just delivered. Jeb had him lift one end of his pole onto the first log in the fan. Jeb lifted the end of the next pole in the fan onto Astraea's, and waved him off to get another. Astraea's next pole went on top in line with the others below it, so that the joined ends formed an angle like that of a man's two hands laced together at the fingertips, the palms wide apart. The ends of the four poles that made one section rested on the beginnings of four more piled-up poles that started the next. The result was a fence that needed no posts. "'Now get another load,' Jeb ordered. Numbed by the way he was being treated, Astraea did as he was told. For the rest of the morning he cut fresh lengths of cedar for the horse to pull through the woods. Jeb hoisted the poles into place and rested while Astraea cut and fetched more. Each trip ended with a callous admonition to work faster. When they stopped, eight more zigs and zags were complete. At midday, Jeb walked the horse back to the cart tracks so that she could drink from the stream. While the horse sucked huge draughts of water, Astraea sat on a stone in the dappled shade, eating the thick cheese sandwiches Judith had made him. Jeb stood by himself to eat, drinking from a stone jug he had hung on the horse's trappings. He neither offered any to Astraea, 
nor looked at him throughout their meal. When he had done, he gave orders to Estrella in his customary monotone. You work till the field's in shadow. Do six more before that. Get on with it. Without looking back, Jeb strode off toward the farm. Estrella waited until he was out of sight, then stood and held out a hand toward the horse. Come, Sally, we've got work to do. The horse swung her big head slowly around and looked solemnly at him, as if commiserating, and then picked her way towards him out of the stream in which she had been standing. With Estrella at her head, they started back up the cart-track to where the fence grew painfully longer. Estrella threw himself into the task, determined to show that a sailor could work as hard as any farmer. The day wore on, the work was repetitive, and he had time to think. The more he reflected on the way Jeb treated him, the more he was reminded of how he had been taunted as a child until Skarm had taught him how to fight back. He wondered how he would fare if it came to a fight with Jeb. The farmer might be slow, but Estrella had seen brutal strength in the way he manhandled logs into place, which was not comforting. And even if he'd won such a contest, what would come next? He could hardly fight the rest of Teenmouth, he did not know where to go on land, and he could not get far in one of the flat-bottomed rowboats. Beside, these were people who had looked after him. He did owe them, even if Jeb's idea of repaying a debt was close to slavery. The day brought him no solution, but he became proud of what he had accomplished. He had only Sally the horse for companionship, but she seemed to respond to what he said and did. He found that she could be coaxed into pulling poles into the best position to be lifted into place, and she seemed grateful when he waved away flies with a cedar frond. He looked forward to telling Eva about how many trees he had felled, trimmed, skidded, and maneuvered into the fence. Then he recalled Jeb's threats, and he misgave. When the shadows of the tall trees on either side of the field had crawled across the bright green crop, he found himself talking to the horse as they started wearily back to the farm, just as he had done so many times with Skip. What do you think of him, Sally? Does he boss you around the way he does me? Does he rule your life right down to who you can talk to? The horse offered no answer. The fence cast long shadows on the hoof-marked ground as they skirted the field. When they entered the wood, Estrella looked up to see the tops of the trees still bright with sunlight, while the path at his feet was darkening towards evening. The horse's hoofs clopped steadily as she walked, head down, along the packed earth of the cart-track, with scarcely a jingle from the traces that Estrella had looped up on her back. They both plodded wearily on for some time, until the horse raised her head. Moments later, Estrella heard another horse approaching behind them. Thinking to give whomever it was plenty of room to pass, Estrella shouldered Sally to the grassy edge of the track. She stopped and scratched her neck on a low branch. The skin around his bracelet tingled, and he felt a wary tension overcome his tiredness. The other horse approached at a steady walk, then slowed and stopped. It was a big black-and-tan gelding, festooned with packs on either side of a thin rider who slouched from a long day in the saddle. "'That's the way to Dean Mouth,' he asked. Estrella looked up at a man whose face was shadowed not only by the trees, but also by a broad-brimmed hat. A shaft of light fell on the man's hands holding the reins, and Estrella noticed that they were thin and knobby at the joints. 
the skin blotched with age spots. You'll be at a farmhouse in a few moments. Leave it to port, and you'll be there in... Astrea hesitated because he had no idea how far the center of Teenmouth was from Jeb's farm, and he was still looking for words when the man kicked his horse into a trot and was soon out of sight around a bend. That wasn't polite, was it, Sally? Astrea coaxed the horse back onto the track. Tell me, horse, do you ever think of running away? The rest of the way back to the farm, Astrea reflected gloomily that to run away was pointless unless there was somewhere he could run too. He was met by Jeb's dour face as he was hitching Sally outside the barn. Rub the horse down. Give her a scoop of oats from the bin by the door. Don't steal any for yourself. Pump her some water, hang up her tack, don't come near the house. He turned his back and walked swiftly towards the kitchen door. Estrella set slowly to work, determined not to let Jeb humiliate him. He took off the horse collar, unbuckled the traces, and then fetched a tub of water from the pump, an armload of hay from the loft above the barn, and a scoop of oats. While Sally ate and drank, he began to brush her down. The horse's skin shuddered when the brush scratched the fly-bites she had endured during the day, and she turned her big head slowly so that she could watch him as if to indicate where next to scratch. When Estrella walked around her to work on her other flank, he turned his back to the house and looked past the barn to the road towards Teenmouth. In the deepening evening shadow of the barn he saw four men, and they were all facing him. When he stopped grooming to look at them, they huddled briefly together, muttering. Estrella felt sure that the newcomers had been staring at him, but he had no idea why. Then one gestured towards the house, and the other three followed him to the kitchen door, leaving Astrea wondering if he had imagined that they had been watching him. He finished grooming the horse, led her into her stall beside her mate, put away the gear, and walked to the pump to wash. As he did so, he glanced towards the open door of the kitchen, where he could see lantern light on the table. The doorway darkened when two or more bodies blocked the light as they went inside, while he was shaking the water off his hands and brushing his hair back from his wet face, the door closed. Since he had been banned from the house, and there was no point in going to ask for something to eat, he went to his tiny room in the other end of the barn from the horses and lay down on his bed. On the other side of the wall he could hear the occasional thud of a hoof as the two horses settled for the night. After his companionable relationship with Sally during the day, the sound was somehow comforting. Estrella lay on his back and looked out the small window at the blackening sky, wondering where the Molly and her crew might be. His mood darkened with the fading light. He was about to pull the blankets around him and try to sleep, when there was a soft knocking that was not from the horses. He sat up, and greenish light flowed from the bracelet on his arm. The door gently creaked open. "'It's me, Eva,' she whispered. "'I've brought you some food.' Estrella pushed back the lacings to get more light from his bracelet. Oh, don't, they'll see. Estrella doubled a blanket and hung it over the window. The light from his bracelet now dimly lit the side of the room to his left, and he was able to see Eva, a basket held in both her hands. Does that light come from the bracelet on your arm? she asked. It does. It's not dangerous. You can come in, and thank you, he said. Here, put the basket on the stool. All right, she said. It's stew. 
Careful, it's hot. Mother made it. I, she, we were worried about you working all day, after what you've been through. I was all right, said Estrella. The horse did the hard work. She sat beside him on the bed as he took out a big bowl. When he untied the napkin and lifted the plate that covered it, a mouth-watering smell of chicken stew reminded him that he was very hungry. Estrella rummaged in the basket and found a thick slice of bread and a spoon. He dug into the food gratefully. As he ate, she whispered to him, the words tumbling out as fast as she could say them. The council has come to see father. They're deciding what to do about you. There's been an attack from the sea on Mizzle. That's to the west, past Markham. It's awful. People killed. Women kidnapped. Needle-neck the peddler brought the news. And Strayer, he saw you on the road, and he thought you were one of the men of the sea. That's what he called them, because he said he'd seen some of them, and, and their big boat, and they looked like you. Estrella tried to swallow a mouthful of hot stew so that he could tell her about the rider that had stopped to question him, but Eva did not give him a chance. The men of the sea had black hair, she paused and looked at him, and they took what they wanted, food, water, and he says they took some of the boys and the younger women, too. How does he know? Did he see it happen? I don't know. I only heard what the mayor told father. I guess the peddler took off on his horse to save his skin. Anyway, the thing is that some of the elders think you're a spy. It's because you were asking all kinds of questions before that boy hit you. And because you don't look like the others on the little boat, and Neil Nick thought you looked like one of the men of the sea. And they don't know you like I do. They're scared, Strayer. They think if they drive you away or kill you, then all of us could be in bad trouble if the men from the big ship attack Teenmouth and they don't find their spy, you. If they let you stay, which is what Father wants, because he says you're a good worker, then the others are scared that maybe you'll bring the black ship down on us somehow. So what have they decided? They're just talking and talking, getting nowhere. They aren't bad men, Strayer. They wouldn't kill you, I hope. But if they all knew about that thing on your arm, they'd be even more scared, and then who knows what they'd do. I have to get back. Mother told me not to be long. Estrella wolfed down the last of the stew and, and wiped up the gravy with the bread. Maybe I can sneak up and listen. All right, but be very careful, and don't let them see that light, or for sure they'll think that's how you'll call the men from the sea to kill us all. She leaned closer to him, her dark eyes glinting in the light from his arm. You wouldn't, Strayer, would you? I couldn't if I wanted to, and I don't, said Estrella. I'm not, she put her hand up to his face. I believe you, Strayer. Now come softly behind me. I don't need a light to find my way to the house. Estrella covered his bracelet with scarm's string and then with a rolled shirt-sleeve. Barefoot in the dark, Neither of them made a sound as they walked towards the lit window. When they were only a few paces from the house, Estrella felt Eva's hand touch his arm and then slide down to his fingers. She drew him off the beaten earth of the path onto short grass that surrounded the house and bent almost to a crawl to get below the light from the window. Estrella crouched beside her. At first he could only hear a confusion of voices interrupting each other. Then he was able to pick out the high voice he remembered from his conversation at the well, 
Writing. Suspicion. Black hair. Spy? The high voice silenced the others, and then after a short silence, began again more softly, so that Estrella could make out only a few words. Solution. Useful. Then he heard Jeb's voice. Solves your problems, not mine. I lose a worker. A deep voice spoke slowly and emphatically. It's a problem for all of us, Jebediah. If men come to Teen Mouse in one of those great ships the peddler saw, we're all in danger. Your plan only works if they listen to us. What if they just arrive and start killing people? We can make sure that doesn't happen, because they'd start at Markham, another voice interrupted. And Markham doesn't have our reef. That didn't stop the boat that brought the black-haired boy. The peddler saw a black ship, much, much bigger. So he says. Peddler stories is wild stories. You're right about that. But a whole village gone last year. Killed, stolen, raped, burned. The voice rose in horror. Estrella suddenly thought of the grisly scene at the empty village where the Molly had planned to spend the night. Had that attack from the sea been by the same people? The high voice now spoke without interruption. Counselors, we must decide tonight. It would be easier if we had more time, but tomorrow's the day we have to send one of our lads to the castle, and there's our answer. We'll send him to the castle to do his spying there. They're not on the coast. Well, what will our lads think of losing a chance to go? Like your son, maybe? My son Joshua is smart enough to go anywhere he wants. Sure he is, Hezekiah, said the deep, confident voice. But what he wants is Jeb's Eva. And if he were to be chosen as our scholar, for which he is amazingly unsuited, she may take a shine to my Samuel, and then the adjoining lands. You'll not— Discuss my daughter before my face, Daniel. Jeb's voice harshly stopped the exchange. Estrella and Eva held their breath. The high voice broke the silence. Then it will be tomorrow, at the hall. I'll have the writing. Jebediah, you go round the farms and get the money. We'll choose him officially at the meeting, and then there'll be food and the dancing. And the next day we'll send him on his way. It's an awful expensive way to solve the problem, said Jeb. Who knows, Jeb? Perhaps he'll come back in a year and be our healer. When pigs fly, said Daniel softly in his deep voice and then louder. Listen, men, we've talked enough. The beer's done, and so are we. Thank you kindly, Jebediah and Judas, I'm sure. Now, let's get home to bed. Mayor, let me walk with you to your house, said Jeb. I have a thought about how we can reduce the expense. Eva tugged Estrella's hand and breathed into his ear. Quick, quick, back to the barn. I'll go in through my window. Hurry. She let go of his hand, crouched even lower, and scuttled below the window ledge toward the back of the house. Estrella's toes felt cool grass and then packed earth. Glancing upwards, he saw the brightest star of late spring above the roof of the barn. 
a few silent steps, and he was letting himself into his little room. Looking out of the half-closed door, he saw figures start down the darkened road, their lanterns casting swooping patches of yellow light onto the tree trunks. He watched them until the last light from their lanterns flickered into the darkness, and then lay down on his bed. He stared into the dark, trying to make sense out of the fragments he had heard. A greenish glow lit his left arm, and when he pulled back his sleeve the strong light from his bracelet softly illuminated the little room. Strangely reassured, Astraea pulled the blankets around him, sighed, and fell asleep. You have been listening to the Astraea Trilogy, Book One, The Voyage South, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astreatrilogy.com for more about Astraea's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.